Brother Goma, thank you to our musicians and everyone else who helped up here. It's good to be sharing God's Word with you again. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. We'll read from verses 35 to 41 this morning. You may notice a bit of a pattern in the actual hymns. If you looked at your uh, bulletin, it's got to do with Jesus, a haven of rest, and he's um, a shelter in the time of storm, and, and it has to do with this particular passage today. So Mark chapter 4, verse 35 and the same day when the evening was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of winds, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him. And say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, once again, as we come before your throne, our hearts are filled with thanks and praise, and we thank you for your precious word. We thank you that we can trust it. We thank you that it feeds our souls, and through it we grow into that perfect image of your Son. So, Father, we pray that you would be our teacher this morning. Your Spirit would teach us your ways. You would guide us into your truth, and that by your grace we may live it. So we ask for your blessing upon us now as we seek to learn more of you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What does faith look like? What does faith look like? I mean, how does it manifest itself in a person's life? I think we go through our entire lives thinking about that question as we reflect on why we do certain things. Ever, ever thought about, why did I just do that? Or why did I make that decision? And you think, that wasn't really based on belief. That might have been based on some emotion or some fear or something else that may have driven us in a certain direction. But what does genuine faith actually look like? You know, faith can be placed in many things. By nature, we are actually people of faith. And you might say, well, the Bible teaches us, you know, not to not to trust to trust no man. In a sense, that that's true. But in another sense, we are by nature people of faith. Even before we came to faith in Christ, you see, by nature, we like to trust. Because when you trust something or someone, uh, it makes your life a whole lot simpler. We're driven by nature to have confidence in things. And once those things have been certified, we gravitate to those things over and over again. I'll explain to you what I mean in a moment, because this occurs in every part of our lives. For instance, who do you bank with? Yes, I wouldn't bank with Bendigo. But anyway, that's his... Uh, <laughs> it's always got to be one in the crowd, isn't it? So the, the thing is, 
Like, why do you? Why did you choose the bank that you're with today? Maybe they gave you a better interest rate. Maybe I don't know. Maybe there are other things involved with it. Why do you bank with a certain bank and not another? I mean, what car do you drive? I know there are some people that are very particular about what car they drive. I know Miria loves a particular brand of car. I won't tell you what that car. You can ask her yourself what brand she loves. It's not Ferrari, by the way. Okay. But what about your doctor? I'm sure the majority of us have doctors that we go to regularly. You don't just go to any doctor, but you have a particular doctor you might like because you trust that doctor more. What about, I mean, who do you trust your teeth to? That's a big question for some people. I mean, to go to the dentist for many people is actually a scary thing. So, you know, once you've got a dentist that you trust, um, you tend to go back to the same one, you know, if the screaming wasn't as loud with him, you know. But that's, it happens actually in every part of life, if you think about it, that we've actually, we look for things to trust because once you, you've got gained trust in something, it actually becomes a regular part of life. You have to keep on looking because in the search, there can be a whole lot of confusion and doubt and problems. And so we tend to gravitate to the same things over and over again. For those of you who like reading Christian books, you've probably got favorite authors. Authors that you, I've read one book, I like what he said there. He's doctrinally sound, so I'm going to keep on going back to the same one when they release some of the book. So that's a part of who we are as people. And we tend to confirm something. Once something's confirmed in our lives, we tend to build up that faith, which is akin to trust, okay, in that particular thing. So who you trust your health to, your money with, who you trust your car to be repaired by, who do you go flying with, who do you trust more to fly with, uh, maybe an important thing for you, and so on and so on. You know, there's a, there's a, a particular phrase, Ridium, that says that people vote with their feet. They vote with their feet. And then the, the reason why they say, the, white reason, or the, the meaning of this particular phrase is that people will show their opinion about something or their trust in something, or their faith in something, or lack of faith, or lack of trust in something, whether they keep on going back, or whether they go somewhere else. In other words, our actions and our choices clarify our belief and faith. They reveal it. So what we do actually reveals what type of faith we actually have. So your confidence in something your trust in something is akin to your faith in it if i didn't have confidence that the bank could actually look after my money would you bank there no i wouldn't bank there the same thing if you if you didn't trust a particular mechanic you wouldn't bring your car to someone who you didn't trust and so that's what faith essentially looks like and sometimes in life people's faith or trust is betrayed and it even scars them for the rest of their life. Because at that particular point, some people are, their faith or confidence is so um, shattered that they then struggle to build that faith up again in something else. So I had a heart operation in 2014, right? So I had to entrust my physical life to a particular surgeon. Okay? I had to make a choice, I, I, I made the decision. And essentially, my life was in his hands, a group of them actually together. So there was a guy operating a blood machine. There was a guy 
you know, using the operating a scalpel, and the other guy was um, making sure that I wasn't going to wake up during the operation. And so I got to meet all three of them, by the way. I think I may have shared this with you in the past before, but one was a Jew. He was a surgeon, and I had the guy who was keeping me asleep. He was a Palestinian. And then there was an Aussie that was operating the, the machine that operates, you know, that actually gets your blood flowing around, keeps your blood flowing around your body while your heart's not pumping. And I, I met all of them all at the same time, and I looked at the Aussie and I said, can you please make sure there's no trouble happens during the operation? It didn't, by the way, and I'm still here. So I built up some trust in, in that particular surgeon. So if I was to have another, another operation because it went well and it wasn't that bad of an experience, I'd probably look at going back to him because I'm probably not going to go looking for someone else who I've never known before. I've had experience with this guy, but sometimes people's confidence and their faith is shattered. And I think sometimes of you know, children whose parents abuse them. And that would be a shattering experience for a child's faith. And parents, and the, the, the job that parents have are to look after their children, to nurture them, to, to care for them. And when, when that confidence is betrayed, what does a child do for the rest of their lives? How is that overcome? How is that dealt with? And there are many examples like this. I mean, if you were to call a, a police to come and save you from something and instead they beat you up. That would probably dent your faith in the police force. You see, our experiences actually change what type of faith and whether we can move on with our faith too. It, sometimes we have opinions about something because of our own personal experiences which may or may not even be real because one bad police person doesn't make all the police bad, you know what I mean? And, or one bad surgeon doesn't make all the surgeons bad. I won't talk about politicians, though. Anyway, so today's sermon is about faith, what it looks like, and especially what faith looks like when things don't go as expected. You see, with faith comes expectations. If I have confidence in someone, I expect things to go a, a certain way, and so sometimes those expectations are valid, sometimes they're not even valid. But today, Jesus will teach us what faith actually looks like and we'll also discover it's who we have confidence in or who we believe we have confidence in or the who and what is the object of our faith that will determine what decisions we actually make. So just going back before this particular passage takes place, see, by this stage, the disciples who had been following Jesus around now for a little while had seen Jesus heal many people. They had seen people with withered hands that where their hands gained mobility again and, and were restored. They'd seen people who were blind who were now seen. They'd seen him and heard him preach wonderful messages about the kingdom of God. And it wasn't just a small thing. If you look at, go back to verse 9 in Mark chapter 3. It says there, And he spoke to his disciples at a small ship, uh, that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. For he had healed many, insomuch that they pressed upon him for to touch him as many as had plagues. Think about that for a moment. They'd heard. Can you imagine if you had leprosy in those days? And you were, you think about lockdown. If you were a leper, you had 
no chance of ever going back to your family. None whatsoever. If you had leprosy, you were you were separated from everyone else. And if you even came close to people, you'd have to scream out and warn them. Imagine that sort of life. And so then you, you hear about this healer who actually is not only healing cripples and blind people and people that are deaf and, 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 and people that have got other infirmities, but he's healing people that are leprosy. So what are you going to do? You're not going to care about anyone else who's around. You're just going to go and run. And so we find that Jesus is thronged by people. He's there on, on, the, on the coast, on the, on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, and the people are just thronged. They all want, just want to touch him because they know that my cousin so-and-so just touched him and he was healed of leprosy completely. Now he's back with his family. And so I want to do the same now. And so the question, though, is what did they really believe about him? Who, who is he? I mean, you may know that, you may, you may have heard he heals people, but what did they really believe about him? They probably heard that he was a good teacher, a miracle worker. Uh, was he a prophet? Uh, the Messiah? What, what did that mean for their faith? I mean, if you have leprosy and you simply found someone who could heal your leprosy and finally cure you, that's fantastic. We found a great physician who can heal us. And that will then drive them to go and, and touch him and to get healed. So they probably believed if they had leprosy or some infirmity that they could be healed. He was a great physician. He was a miracle worker. But what about my soul? What about the soul of that person? Were they concerned about that? You know, can, you, can, you can be healed physically, but it may not change what's going on inside. It doesn't change your, your fallen nature. What do they believe about that? Did, what about their need for the truth? You know, once you were healed, did they really care then about what message he was delivering? We don't know. What about their future? I mean, if he was just a prophet, if he was a prophet, like all the other prophets, would you trust your eternal soul to him? The answer is no. You don't trust your eternal soul to a prophet. Yet here we have Jesus who is calling all to come to him different type of prophet altogether what does it mean that he was the messiah you see who they believed jesus was would determine what type of faith they had in him if he was a healer that's what they would trust him for if they came to believe that he was a prophet well then they're going to listen to what message he's got if he was something else then they'd believe that about him and it's a bit like, would you trust your mechanic to diagnose and fix a heart condition? You might trust your mechanic, but you're going to trust him to fix your car, not to fix your heart, right? And so the understanding what they believed about Jesus would determine what area of their life they would trust him. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Look at the background here. It says, and he began again to teach by the seaside and there was gathered unto him a great multitude so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land and he taught them many things by parables and said unto them this doctrine. Well, I won't go into any more of that, but this is what was happening. So Jesus distances himself from the crowds. How do you get away from people thronging you? Well, the good way to get away from them is to get in a boat and then just go out a little way into the water. 
And so they're forced to, to be on the, on the edge. And so that's what Jesus did. You see, people wanted to touch Jesus. They were there for a particular thing. Many of them wanted to be healed of whatever problem they had. But Jesus had something more important for them than their physical healing. Something way more important than even to be cured of leprosy. He had a message they needed to hear. And so he distances himself from that crowd. He didn't come just to heal people of their physical illnesses. He had something more important than that. And that was contained in the message that he had for them. And so he distances himself from the crowd and he sits in a fishing vessel. Just far enough for them not to be able to reach him. Just close enough for them to be able to hear his words. In that session, we're told Jesus taught many parables about the kingdom of God and faith. And if you look at verse 33, it says, and with many such parables, excuse me, (laughs) spake he the word unto them as they were able to hear it. So how long did Jesus preach for? Longer than me. He preached for hours. In fact, he was probably there for the good part of the entire day. Between healing people and preaching, this was a full day event. And we know that it was a full day event because the evening had come. And he would have started in the morning. If you look at verse 35, so he's taught them by many, many parables. And in verse 35, it says, In the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. Ever thought about that? It's an interesting picture, isn't it? That not only did people come to listen to him on land, but if you had a boat, they came to listen to him from their boat. And so around him, he had the the main vessel in the middle and then a whole lot of other little ships around him. No doubt, some were probably friends of friends and family of friends and and maybe the disciples had told their friends about it. So you've got almost like a flotilla of ships and ships and boats there who wanted to hear Jesus preach, wanted to see him do amazing things. And so they anchored themselves probably a little way as close as they could to him to listen to what he had to say. And now the evening had arrived and Jesus says, let's go from here where there were a lot of towns and people to the other side of of the sea, um, which is probably about, I think maximum would have been about 30 k's, but 30 k's, 13, sorry, 13 k's in a small boat is a decent trip anyway. And so you can see his, his boat would have started to head off and it was evening. It was starting to get dark. And between the healing, the preaching and everything else that was going on, Jesus would have been exhausted. He did get tired. He did get thirsty. He did experience pain. And by the end of that preaching session, and I know and I know about preaching long, because you guys will tell me that I preach long, but anyway. <laughs> um, but after the end of preaching, for hours, he would have been exhausted. It was a long day for him. And so we find that 
it says that he fell asleep at the back of the ship. So verse 37 says, And there arose a great storm. So they've headed out into this sea, and there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder, the back part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Now, a storm had whipped up the waves of, the, of that sea and they were crashing into the actual boat. So they were high enough that the water was coming in, but with every wave that was going over the edge, the boat's filling up with water. So what are you going to be doing? These guys are seasoned fishermen. They're, they're probably with buckets running to and fro, trying to make sure that the, the boat wasn't filling up, but it was filling up. And what's Jesus doing? He's asleep on a pillow. You know, I admire people who can sleep on transportation. Who can sleep on a plane? How ends up who can sleep? So, oh, there's, only, there's a few of you. You see, I don't like you people because I can't sleep on a train, on a, in a car, or in a plane, right? Um, while everyone else, well, we've taken long trips overseas, you know, when you're in, a, in that 14-hour flight from here to the U.S. and back, it's a hard time when you're awake that whole time. And what makes it harder is when everyone's sleeping around you, okay? And so I admire people who can sleep on a plane, but here's Jesus at another level here. He's in a boat that's filling up with water. And there are guys probably frantic running around with things, and he's asleep over there. Um, there would have been a fair bit of running to and fro and, you know, calling out, but he's asleep. Now, the, the impression I get, he may have been not just the back, but underneath somewhere, maybe a, a little bit uh, sheltered from what was going on. Um, I don't think the waves were coming on top of him. But either way, he's asleep, the back of the ship. And you may ask yourself, how could he have slept through all that? How did he sleep through all, all of that sort of commotion and turbulence? But then again, he was so exhausted here that he could sleep. And the other thing about Jesus is that um, his faith and trust in his father was so, so complete that while other people might have been worried about it and not have been able to sleep, Jesus knew that his father was taking care of him. Jesus knew that he had he was there on a mission and that his father's plans weren't going to be ruined by one little storm. He can sleep. And he can sleep very, very deeply. In this story, we see the frailty of Jesus' humanity. He's frail. After a day of preaching, he was worn out. So worn out that he didn't wake up. Yes, he had the peace, but he was a human being. He was so exhausted from preaching and healing people that he was sound asleep at the back of that boat. And such exhaustion was a demonstration of his humanity. He was fully, fully human, which is a blessing for me. Ever worked so hard and so long that when you got on that bed, you just were out and you slept like a what? Like a log, <laughs> like a baby. We've got a baby over here at the front. Um, that would have been true of him. 
where noises don't even wake you up. And so we understand and might appreciate the tiredness of Jesus in the story. But in the same story that, that reveals to us his exhaustion and his frailty as a human being, we see this other aspect of him. We're now going to witness his breathtaking power and his divinity. And this is where the story leads us to. And so with that in mind, let's look at the question that, that came into the minds of his disciples. So in verse 38, so we've got the, the ship being filled up with water. And, and in verse 38, it says, And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Now, that, they, that would have been said with a lot of emotion. Right? These guys are thinking they're going to drown. The whole lot of them are going to be gone. They were obviously fearful for their lives because they woke Jesus up and pleaded with him to save them. And then they said, don't you care that we're going to die? Care thou, carest thou not that we perish? In their minds, it seems, Jesus was obviously safe. Yeah, he was the prophet. He was the son of God. He wasn't going to die. I mean, the guy can walk on water. Even if this boat sinks, he's probably still going to be sleeping on top of the water. But we're going to sink along with the boat. God might protect him. He might be okay. But we're not going to be okay. Matthew, he records a simple, them simply saying, Save us, Lord, we perish. We're going to die. So what was the answer to that question? Don't you care? Don't you care that we're dying here, that we're going to die? Or maybe, as some Italian parents are prone to do, is to throw the guilt treatment on someone. Parents, don't use guilt on your children. They may have said it simply to make him feel guilty. You don't care about us. Don't you care about us? You care only about yourself. Look at you, you're having a good sleep. And here we are, we're, we're, trying, to, we're trying to save our own lives here in this boat. Don't you care about us? Maybe they weren't expecting an answer for this. Maybe they just threw it out as a passing comment. Maybe they were so fearful they just said whatever first thing that came into their minds. But the truth was they had seen enough about Jesus. They had heard enough from Jesus to understand that the answer to that question was an emphatic yes. He did care for them. He cared for the, for the smallest person to the greatest person. He cared. And the, reason, and the reason he was there that whole day healing people and sharing the gospel was because he cared. He loved them. And so the answer to their question was an obvious yes. They should have known better. They knew that he cared, but their emotions got the better of them. Ever said, ever said something in the midst of an emotional or fearful situation or, or an angry situation? You say something to a loved one that you later regret. I suspect they may have regretted what they said to him at that particular stage because in their haste and in their fear, they maybe also revealed what their level of faith was. And it wasn't that deep. Yes, Jesus does care. They knew that he does care and they knew it deep down in their hearts, but their fragile flesh came to the surface instead. And so look at verse 39. It says that 
without any without any further words when they asked that question of him it says and he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea peace be still and the wind ceased and there was a great calm now just think about this for a moment so jesus is sleeping he wakes up he hears them say don't you care about us and he rebukes the wind he told off the wind the word rebuke means to be to, be, to tell off huh? um and i don't know what words exactly he may have used to rebuke the wind but it may be along the line something like stop that that's enough And to the sea, he says, peace, be still. Enough of the turbulence. Be still. And immediately the wind ceased and there was a great calm on that sea. Now imagine yourself in that boat for a moment. You've been busy bailing water, running around thinking you're going to die in the next, you know, maybe the next uh, 10 minutes or so. You don't know where to turn. But imagine for a moment that while you've been screaming and while you've while that wind's been howling and the sea's been raging and all the stuff that's going on around you all of a sudden there's silence everything's gone silent everything has gone peaceful and you see jesus standing there and he's just told off the wind and he's just spoken peace to the waves silence and calm and if you were there on that boat i wonder who you would have been looking at next i would have probably looked at the guy next to me said what's going on here oh yeah he can he can heal people all right we we know that but he just controlled the whole weather he just stopped all the wind and he's calmed this whole sea. They would have never seen that in their entire lives. And they would have been bewildered. And in that silence, something began to dawn on them. But before they were, got a chance to actually work out what had just happened and why this just happened, they cop a rebuke as well. Jesus just rebuked the wind. He said, peace to the sea and now in verse 40 he says he turns to them now in the midst of their turbulence and their fear and their and their anxiety and he said unto them why are ye so fearful how is it that ye have no faith you see that was his answer to their question don't you care about us yeah but where's your faith what are you afraid of? His tone and his words didn't expect a response. And they offered him none. They didn't answer him back. I mean, what would they say? We weren't afraid? You were afraid, all right. The apostles were seasoned fishermen. Maybe they argued, but we know these waters. We've been in this place before. We know how dangerous this thing is. They might have argued that, you know, they knew that the, the, the position that they were in. So they knew the dangers. 
but they didn't know better than him, did they? Despite all their experience, it didn't mean much in the face of being in a boat with Jesus. Ever argued points with God? God, I know what's going to happen here. I know what's going to happen. And, and you need to do something about this. As if we have to educate him about stuff. As if we have to explain to God all the details. Because if, if he doesn't get all the details from us, he's not going to quite understand what to do. Did the apostles argue with Jesus? No. They kept quiet. Did they argue that they had faith? No, they didn't say that either. They didn't say, oh, oh we're offended, Lord. We've got faith. They might have said, well, we, didn't we come to you? They went to him, didn't they, to save them? But what did they have faith in anyway? Where did their faith lead them? What was the consequence of that type of faith that they actually had? It led them to believe that they were going to die. That's where it led them, that they were going to die. Even with Jesus in the boat, even in the ship with them, even though they had seen his miracles, they had heard his teachings, even though he had, he had previously just called them, you're my 12 apostles. I'm going to send you out into the world. I'm going to use you to glorify myself. You're part of my mission. They were part of his mission now. Even though they had all that, they knew all that. No, they thought in the middle of a storm on the Sea of Galilee, just as Jesus had finished preaching to a group of people and just heading to the other side, they thought um, this storm was going to ruin all of God's plans for us. They must have thought God was a very feeble planner if a storm was going to ruin his plan. God's foresight must be very dim if he didn't see that storm coming. And unless we wake him up, we're all going to die. That was not faith. That was a lack of faith. If next to Jesus, you think you're going to die. Let me give you an illustration. Imagine a Christian who every time they get up in the morning, they pray before they get into the car and they pray to the Lord and they say, please, Lord, please don't let me die in a car accident today. I'm going in the car and I'm driving to work. Please don't let me die in a car today. And so they go to work and then at work they pray again. And they say, please, Lord, on my way home, please don't let me die of a car accident today. And so they drive home safely. And they do that every day. And every time they get in the car, they pray, please, Lord, don't let me die in the car today. Let me ask you a question. Does that person have faith? Is that faith? They're praying, aren't they? They're praying all the time. Is that faith? You see, the question is, it's what it's faith in. You see, I would submit to you that that person who prays every day, don't let me die uh, from a car accident today, is not praying because they have faith in God. Because that same person, if they think that they, if they forget to pray once, what are they going to think? I'm going to die. But the one time I forget to pray, that's the time I'm going to die. 
You know, there are people like that. There are people who think that if I don't pray enough or explain exactly the right thing to God or pray a certain number of times, whatever it is, somehow God's going to allow something terrible to happen to me. Now, can I ask you, is that faith? That's not faith. You know what that's faith in? Faith in your own prayers. That's faith in yourself because you have to keep this universe running. Somehow your prayers are going to keep everything in control. That's not faith in Jesus. That's faith in your own self. I know that there are, and we all go through this, when we pray for our relatives and our loved ones and then maybe one day we're praying for them to be saved and sometimes that doesn't come to pass. And if you're like me, you're going to ask yourself a question. And you're going to say, did I pray enough for that person? Because I love that person, but did I pray enough? And that's a really hard question to ask. Because you don't know what is enough. If I prayed one more time, would that person have gone to heaven? If I prayed 10 more times, that person had gone to heaven. If I'd prayed 100 times or 200 times, what was enough? You see, there's a challenge that we all have when it comes to our faith. And it's how much of it depends actually on me. Yes, I'm not, I'm not saying don't pray because the Bible says to pray without ceasing. What I'm telling you, what I'm asking you and getting you to consider is the quality of that prayer. Does that prayer or the outcome of that prayer depend on you or is it dependent upon him? Does he know what's already in my heart before I even pray it? Or do I have to express every detail to him otherwise he's not going to get it? My challenge to us this morning is when I pray, do I pray having faith in his character? Or is my faith in my own prayer and the power of my own prayer? And I want us to distinguish those two things because they are very, very different things. If I keep on going back to God and saying, God, don't let me die of a car accident. Don't let me die of a car accident. The reason I'm praying that is because I don't have faith in his love for me. That's what it is. What it reveals is that I don't think he actually cares for me. And so I'm trying to compensate for that lack of care and love with my prayers. And that's what the, the apostles were doing when they ran to Jesus on that ship. They didn't think he cared for them. Not enough. Was it wrong for the apostles to go to Jesus? Of course not, it wasn't wrong. But their error lay in their lack of confidence in his love for them. Their error lay in a fundamental lack of trust in the character of God and the character of their saviour. Can God fail? He can't fail. Yet the apostles' words betrayed their lack of faith in him. Would they have drowned if they didn't wake him up? The answer to that is no, they wouldn't have drowned because they were with Jesus. He had a mission complete and they were part of that mission. Jesus would never have left them behind. So what are you afraid of today? Are you, are you feel, is your life a bit like you're bailing water out of a ship and you think that if you don't bail fast enough, you're going to die? 
is your lack, is your lack of faith revealing itself through your prayers and your actions? Can you see and I see tomorrow more clearly than Jesus can? Can God's plan fail for you if you don't remind him of all the details or if you see something on the horizon? Of course not. Faith means, faith in Jesus, faith in the Lord means that you trust in whatever happens that he still loves you. And when you pray, you pray with confidence in that. That's the foundation of our prayers. And whatever we ask, we ask knowing that he loves us, not doubting that he loves us. What type, what type of faith did he expect them to have? Well, a type of faith that says, when I'm with Jesus, there's nothing I need to fear. When I'm with Jesus, I trust that he loves me. I trust that he knows how to protect me. I trust that he cares for me. And I will not let anything happen. And he will not let anything happen to me. That's not in God's plan. Because I trust in Jesus as my saviour, I trust for God's plan in my life. And sometimes that includes going through storms. Sometimes it's bringing me through very precarious places. But I trust that his plan was never, is never, ever thwarted or weakened or pushed off track by a storm. If Jesus loves me and I've put my life in his hands, there is no way in this world or the next that he will lose me. That's the type of faith that he wants. That's the type of faith that he deserves from us. And that's exactly the type of lesson that the apostles needed at this particular point of their lives. You see, their lack of faith revealed something new. It didn't just reveal a weakness in their own faith, but a weakness in who they had faith in. You see, because this leads us now to a question. And if you look at it, it's, it reveals something they didn't understand before. So even their lack of faith brought out something new. Look at verse 41. It says, And they feared exceedingly and said what one to another, What manner of man is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him? What a fantastic question. Now that's the right question. What type of a man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? This is the lesson that we all need to learn when we go through storms in our lives. What manner of saviour are you and I following? Is he a man that just gets exhausted and then he's... He's worn out and we, we can't depend on him. Is he going to be asleep when something goes wrong with me? Is he going to, does he really care for me? No, the answer is that this is the almighty son of God. And even though he had a physical body that was weakened, he was the almighty son of God and is the almighty son of God. And one thing we learn in, in the word of God is that God doesn't always stop us from having to go through storms. Sometimes going through storms is necessary for us to learn those valuable lessons. God doesn't stop the storms from coming. Nor does he say, I'm going to make it easy for you. In other words, there are going to be times in our lives when God says, pick up the bucket and start bowing. But his love for us never fails 
and his plan for us is never, ever going to be destroyed. I'm sure that God has averted many storms in your life and in my life already. Maybe storms that we may have whipped up ourselves with bad decisions. When we made choices in our lives that we bear the consequences of later. And then when the storm whips up and we're, we're starting to feel like you know the, the ship's going like this, we're looking for someone to blame. It must be so-and-so that did that to me. But most of the times we find ourselves in storms are storms of our own making. We just don't realise it. But even those storms that we go through that are either created by other people or ourselves are allowed by God to teach us valuable lessons in who he is. They reveal to us our own faith and then they reveal what it is we actually believe about this one we call the Saviour. It reveals the quality of our faith and whether that, that faith is in some sort of a system or a religion or whether it's in him. What came from the test of the apostles was something that strengthened their faith. God doesn't put us through tests to make fun of us. He doesn't put us through tests where we fail the test even to say, you're a failure. No, God actually allows us to go through tests even when we fail them to show us something new, to reveal something new in ourselves so we can say, oh, that's what I'm like or that's the level of my faith. Well, God, I didn't realize this about you. When a person is sure of the love of their Savior for them, then they're able to face really any challenge that this life or a person or the devil can throw at them. Because they believe that Jesus has everything under control and there is nothing that distracts him. The truth is that his love for us is constant you remember jesus the same yesterday and today and forever and so that's true in my daily life he doesn't change from one day to the other we change from one day to the other he's our constant rock but the question is what type of a rock are you standing on it's what you believe about him if you believe that he might want to destroy you because you're not the perfect christian just yet well, you may be believing in a different Jesus than the Bible teaches. Uh, having come from a Catholic background, one of the things that breaks my heart when I hear my relatives and loved ones praying to Mary is that they've been fed this lie about Jesus that it's easier to go to Mary, she'll be more understanding of you. You know, to go to Mary is like going to your mum. Mum always understands, right? And so the line is that if you go to Mary, she'll understand you better than Jesus. Jesus is a bit more stern. If you go to Jesus with the wrong question, he might, you know, crack a thunderbolt and, you know, burn you in your place. But Mary's always gentle. And so if you pray to Mary, then Mary can ask Jesus. And she'll ask him like a mum will. And he'll listen to her much more than he'll listen to you. That breaks my heart. Because they, they put a barrier between the one who loves them the most and they even dishonour her by what they do. 
and it destroys the whole fabric of who God is. It turns him into a tyrant and he's not. He loves. And the disciples learnt that, that lesson that day when they asked, what manner of man is this? This is not just a man. This is truly divine. And what type of love and care does he have that's unbelievably outside of our understanding? We can't even comprehend the type of love that he has for us. And the ability of God to comfort us in times of distress is directly proportional to how much you believe he loves you. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. You see, if you believe God fully loves you, perfectly loves you, then there is no fear in that relationship. Our love is always weak. Our love is never up to par. But you know what? He's teaching us how to love. And the thing is that we love him because he loved us. It has to go in that order. If I don't believe he loves me, I can never love him in return fully. But if I believe he loves me perfectly, then my love can grow for him. And that's what the Christian walk is all about. It's that we know, we're convinced, we believe, we have faith in his love for us. And because he loves me, I can love him in return. Do you have torment in your life today? Do you have fears? Maybe it's because you don't fully appreciate how much God actually loves you and that he's with you every step of the way. Maybe you're struggling to love him in return because you don't believe he loves you perfectly. Listen to the message here and understand what type of man, what manner of man we have put our eternal souls, whose hands we have put our eternal souls into. What type of man has given himself for us? What type of man is this that controls the winds and the waves? So this is the main lesson I want us to learn. But I want us to think of something else as well as we close. If you're in the boat with Jesus, you are safe, right? You're safe because you're in the boat with him. And who's the captain of that boat? He is. In that boat, Jesus the man was physically exhausted. But you wouldn't have gone down with that ship. Because a ship is going to reach its destination. That's guaranteed. You know, there's another time in the future from this particular point where Jesus will be asleep again. And he's going to be asleep, not on a boat, but in the heart of the earth. Will he wake up from that? And the disciples' faith will be tested again. Because his physical body will be not just exhausted from preaching and healing, but it will be physically exhausted because he had been beaten and whipped and crucified. And they'll lay him in a tomb for three days 
You'll sleep in that tomb. And the question of the apostles' faith was, at that point and by that stage, would they believe that he will rise again? And just as he, he, he rebuked the wind and he spoke peace to the waves, would he do the same? Would he rebuke death? Will he calm the hearts of those who are laden with sin? That's why 1 Corinthians 15.55 says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Does Jesus care? Yes, he cares. He cares more than you and I can ever understand. Do you need to fear the storms in your life that are here or are coming? No, you don't. Because in the midst of those storms, he is with you. If you're in the boat, if the Bible says you are in Jesus, if you are in Christ, you will get to your destination. That is a guaranteed. And it doesn't depend on how wonderful you are as a person. It doesn't depend on how that you have to be perfect and do everything right. Simply believe and have faith. If you're in the ship with Jesus today, you're getting home. You're getting home. We're getting home together because we're in his ship. Okay? So I recently saw a post that says something like this. It was in the light of people going through all the turmoil that the world has seen for the last couple of years and how their lives have changed and all the circumstances and the stresses and fears and all the, all the upheaval that's actually happened. Um, and it says something like this. And you may have heard this maybe from a TV ad or something like that and it says, we're all in this boat together. You heard that one? We're all in this boat together. But the truth of the matter is we're not all in the boat together. We're not. We may go through the same storm together. We may be going through the same storm together, but we're not in the same boat. Some are in the boat with Jesus, guaranteed to get their way. They'll, they'll work their way through the storm. They'll get to their destination on the other side. That's guaranteed. But there are, remember those other little boats that were around? Some are in different boats. Some may be going along with yachts, thinking they're doing okay. There may be some people who are in canoes. Some people are, are trying to paddle with a dinghy in the middle of that storm. There are some people who are holding on to a piece of wood, hoping not to drown in the next half an hour. And there are some people who have gone under already. For those who are in the boat with Jesus, the question should not be, don't you care for us? Because that question should be answered and fully, fully organised in our minds already. We should understand that already. The question now should be, Lord, what do we do for them? What about them? What about that person, that canoe that's got a hole in it and it's actually it's sinking? What do we do with them? You see, we are in different boats. We may be going through the same storms, but these people in these other boats are paddling and heading towards, they don't know where, but they're all heading towards the perfect storm. And if they don't drown now, they're going to drown later. And now we're running around like headless chooks on our boat saying, oh, there's water coming in the boat. There's water coming in our boat. Lord, don't you care about us? 
Quick, you, Wilbur, get a bucket. Hurry up and start, start paddling. Someone else do something else. And yet there are people drowning every day around us. We're safe in the boat. If you're in the boat with Jesus this morning, you're safe. You are safe. And there is no need to fear. God knows exactly what we're going through. And it's all allowed because he wants our faith to grow in him. So what do we do? What then should our we should be concerned about? What should our fears be? It should be for them who are in these other boats. It should be for those who are paddling, thinking they're going in the right direction, but are heading for that major storm. And they won't make it. And while we're on a boat that cannot sink, our job should be to call out to them and rescue the perishing. It's a beautiful uh, hymn that we sing, and I'll just finish up with this. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Weep over the erring one. Lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Bless you. Thank you, Pastor. In response to the message, please stand up with me and send your hymnals to four. Two six three. I've got I've got a different book. Two six three. A shelter in the time of storm. <laughs>
shelter in the time of storm. Father Alan, can I ask you to close us in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the message that Jesus is indeed our refuge. We thank you that we can be safe and trust in him. And Father, we pray you might use each one of us to reach those who do not know the truth of this message. We thank you, Lord, again for this day and for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you all. You are all dismissed. And don't forget, we've got some cup, uh, coffee and biscuit. Bye-bye. Thank you.